Hey, today I want to talk about how you can get along with just about anybody. Do you have anybody in your life that you can't get along with? Well, let me rephrase that. Who is it in your life that you have a tough, a tough time relating to? In fact, let's just do a little audience participation right now, uh, church participation. You want to take out a Connect card and write the name of that person or take out, I'm kidding. So many of you are like, okay, I'll take my phone out and put a picture on social media. Hashtag, this is my difficult person. If you're watching online, welcome. Please don't do that. You're better than these people here. <laughs> you're better than me. I shouldn't even have said that. I knew better than to do that. So who is it that you find difficult? Is it somebody in your family? Like somebody that you only see maybe at holidays, or is it somebody you have to live with all the time? Is it somebody in your neighborhood? Is it somebody that you work with? Somebody you go to school with, you share a locker with, you got the same lunch period with? Is it a type of person? For example, somebody who drives a certain way, or somebody who posts these certain kind of things on social media. Who is it that you find it difficult to come, get along with? Why is it that some people are really easy to get along with, and you never have a problem at all with them, and other people, it's just like it's a constant cats and dogs fight? Why is that? You know, there's some people who, they're just tough to get along with because they constantly have emotional outbursts, and you never know what you're going to get from them. And you sometimes are just afraid because sometimes they have angry outbursts, and you don't know what's going to trigger that. Some people are just difficult to get along with, not because of anything that either one of you do wrong. It's just that you're so different than each other, and you're constantly making each other mad. Just because, like you can't, you can't believe that they would post that thing that they did on social media. Like, how could anybody believe that? And and you feel the exact opposite. You just can't abide them. There are other people who are. I'll, I'll be kind here. They're just disorganized. And they leave chaos in their wake, and they leave a mess and disorganization behind them that all the responsible people in life have to clean up, and they're just completely oblivious to it, and it just frustrates you so much. Perhaps it's a person who's just chronically late, and they make you late. Maybe it's somebody who is um, overly critical, and they have an opinion about everything. They have an opinion about how you're parenting. They have an opinion about what classes you're taking. They have an opinion about things that they shouldn't have an opinion about. And they're constantly poking the bear with you. Let's go ahead and put into this category. There are people who are just bullies and try to force other people to get their way. Or they're just, um, you know, just constantly nagging, complaining, control freaks. Sometimes it's drama queens. And it's about making things about them, even things that shouldn't be about them. And they always love to twist the conversation around to them. And it's a one-sided relationship, and they're constantly needing something. Uh, maybe they're even to the point of being passive-aggressive, or they're constantly a victim. Yeah, but you don't even have to have personality disorders to have disagreements among people. It's just life. There's just so many things that, you know, sometimes we all have you know, bad attitudes and bad judgmentalism and, you know, critical negative things to say about people. We're impatient sometimes, but sometimes we're hypocritical. I'll quit talking about myself. You want me to talk about you now? It's just we all sometimes have other people on the other side of the relationship that are tough to take, and sometimes we're that person. We've got to all acknowledge that, and, and there's so many times where you're just looking at somebody and going, I just can't believe that you're like that, you think like that, you do that, and we call it marriage. So it's a, it's a real thing. This is life. So how do you get along with other people like that, that just don't see the world the right way, my way? Well, <laughs> there's actually really good hope for that. I say we can get along with almost anyone. You have a great start if you're dealing with other Christians, because for 2,000 years now, God has been doing something in the world that Robert talked about that we celebrated at communion. He's bringing diverse, divergent, different, disagreeable people together, and he's creating unity, and he's creating acceptance, and dare I say it even creates love. 
I want to show you how that happens and what God can do in a person's life, even the most difficult people. He can change them. If you've got a Bible, I want you to find Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Don't be afraid to take out a paper Bible and just use the table of contents. Okay. I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone or you don't have one of these, get one. I'll help you. You can talk to me after service. If you've got questions, I'm always available. Our elders are available. I would love to help you find a good Bible to get into. So you can just read this for yourself. You don't have to just take my word for it, for what it says. But let's go ahead and see what the Bible says about how God wants to develop unity in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4. And give you a little, if you're newer to the Bible and you're like, Brian, you always say like a thing and then you say a number and then a number, number. What is that? When I say, like, for example, Ephesians 4, first you get to the book of Ephesians, and then when I say 4, that means you look for the big 4. It's chap- cut into chapters, and then the verses are little subs. So we'll go to chapter 4, the big 4, verse 1. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church. So you're talking to Christians here, and I want you to hear it as if it's written to you. Paul said, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord. You guys can say the ones with me if you want. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. And there is One God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Man, these are powerful words. I know there's a lot of words there. We're going to walk through it. This is the key to unity and success. What I love about this is that it's telling you, if you're a Christian, you already have unity. It's something that's been given to you by God. It's ours to protect. It's ours to grow. It's ours to nurture. This is yours. So I want to point out three things that I heard Paul talking about that we can just embrace so that we can be more unified. The first thing that I see him pointing to is that we have a common calling. And he says, you need to live up to this calling that God has given you. Okay, so what is that calling? What does that look like? So chapter 4, verse 1, it started in my Bible with the word therefore. And I don't know if you've heard this before. If the word therefore is there, you're always supposed to look for what it's there for. Like there's something there. This is the conclusion of an argument. And so everything that he said before this leads to therefore. So he's saying, therefore, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. So let's go back to chapter one and see what the therefore is there for. Like what is the calling that God has given us? Let's just walk through it. Chapter one, verse three. He says, first of all, we're going to praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Then in verse 4, he says, God, before he even made the world, had already decided to choose you and me to be part of this new thing he's doing in the world. He knew before ever said, let there be light, that he already wanted you to be here today. How about that? How about verse 5? God decided in advance to adopt us into his family. Let's go on down here to verse 7. God is so rich in kindness and in grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He offers you forgiveness, and he paid for it himself with his own life. How about verse 8? God has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. How about verse 9? Think about this. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. God lets you be an insider. He tells you the secret things that he's doing in the world. Go on down to chapter 2, verse 19. You Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You are adopted into God's family. 
This may be the one that gives me the most goosebumps at all. If you go into chapter 3, I'm not going to delve into this too deeply, but it just makes me think about things in a different way. Chapter 3, verse 10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. Who's the church? Use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I have so many questions about this. Number one, I just think about this. When God wants to show how smart he is, I would have gone with DNA because that was brilliant to think that up or to say, look, the galaxies, I designed that. I am the architect, but God doesn't do that. He points to you and he points to me and he says, here is how wise I am. I'm going to give these creatures free will. They're going to screw up bad. They're going to destroy this perfect universe I made and I'm going to fix it through them, still respecting their free will. That illustrates how wise God is. Now, here's the part that gives me goosebumps. Who is God proving how wise he is to? Is he proving it to us? My Bible says he's proving it to unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are they? You ever heard a sermon about that before? Like, what if the universe is a lot fuller than we realize? Who is it that God is saying, guys, come here, I want to show you how wise I am, and we are exhibit A. Now, I'm going to stop there because that's a whole other sermon, but I just want you to think about that, that you mean so much to God. You are not being presumptuous. You are not being pretentious to act like you are special to God. He has already made up his mind that he loves you. There's nothing that you can to do to change that. He cares about you. He decided he liked you before you ever even existed, and he decided he wanted you to be in on everything that's happening in the world He's got a brilliant future for you. He's given an enormous price to buy you back from the dumb things that you and I have done in our lives. And nothing's going to change that. You are evidence of God's work. Now, here's my question. In light of all of that, can you play up? In light of what God thinks of you, can you try to be the bigger person? Can you be the one who says, I know you're being a jerk, but I know what God's called all of us to, and I know how much God's had to overlook in my life. So I'm going to, in light of all the things that God has done, is doing, and will do for me, I am going to lean into the idea that we're going to be united. We're not going to be divided. It's so amazing when you look at what we have in common, the calling that God has given to us, and say, that's the thing I'm going to focus on, not all the things that divide us. Can you level up? Because here's the thing. God thinks so much more of you than you think of yourself right now. God thinks so much more of you than you think about the people that you're irritated with right now. So let's live up to that. You know, one of my favorite stories that came out of the pandemic last year is just an illustration of what can happen when we play up like this. This was uh, when Burger King told people to eat at McDonald's. Did you see that? Actually, they posted on Twitter. This is a real thing. Burger King said, hey, we want you to, we never thought we'd ask you to do this, but we never imagined that we would ask you to order from KFC or Subway or Five Guys or Taco Bell or any other independent food outlets. But what they're saying is restaurant employees need to eat no matter where they work. So let's all get out there and let's order from each of these restaurants. Let's make sure these people have paychecks. And I love what they said at the end of it, you know. Getting a Whopper's always best. I would beg to differ, but ordering a Big Mac's not such a bad thing. That's how you play up. You know, yes, we're competitors with one another, but in this time where everybody has a need, we're going to say there's something that unites us, and we're going to look at the bigger picture. We're going to look at the calling that, that we have. So what would it look like in your life and your relationships if you did that? 
I, can, I don't have to guess because Paul goes in and tells us in, in, in verse 2. Let's go ahead and read this again. He said, I want you to always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, make allowances for each other's faults because of your love, make every effort to keep yourself united with the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Here's how I would say this. We, we've been given a common set of expectations for how we're supposed to treat each other, and we need to embrace them. We need to follow them. And these words are powerful, and I don't want you to just zoom past them, because what I love about this godly toolbox of virtues is they work in two directions. If you're dealing with somebody who is just obnoxious, and you just don't feel like you can take them one more minute, a little bit of gentleness and humility and unity will help, and love and making allowances. If you are the one that somebody else is posting on social media saying, this is my difficult person, if you're a difficult person, but you're trying to be humble and gentle and oblivious to the effect you have on other people, you also will grow up. It's just amazing how this will work. These will help you. I want to just look through what some of these are because it's easy to just go, oh, I know what it means to be humble. I know what it means to be gentle. I got this. Well, no, not really. What does it mean to be humble? Biblically speaking, it means that you consider and you treat other people as though they are better than you. you know, there's something in me, at least, and maybe in you, that says, wait a minute, nobody's better than me. Well, it's not saying that they actually are. It's just that you choose to treat them as though they are. You, you don't think of yourself first. You think of the other person first. I like how Andy Stanley used a great illustration of this. He says, when you go to a wedding and you're not the bride and you're not the groom, you're not the most important person in the room. There are some people who think they are, right? The, the mother of the bride, maybe, or somebody else might try to make it all about themselves, but it's not. On that moment, in that occasion, the most important person in the room is not you, unless you're the one getting married. And that's what humility looks like. It's treating as someone as though... You know, they're better than you, and trying to put their interests ahead of your own. You know, one of the big things that has uh, happened, and there's now a tag to go with it. It's always happened, but now we call this thing virtue signaling. Have you heard of that? Virtue signaling is where you're not just holding a good position, or you're not just uh, following a good cause. You need to make sure everybody else knows that you are. So, and social media has just fueled that because we get to post a picture of ourselves doing something wonderful and we're signaling to the world, look, I'm buying 200 cases of Girl Scout cookies. I'm doing the ice bucket challenge. I'm following the right cause. I believe this. And, you know, it, so here's the thing that's come out in research. People who virtue signal, and by the way, all of us do it in one way or another at some time, have less satisfaction in their relationships, more stress, more drama, so when virtue signaling is literally putting ourselves in front and saying, look how wonderful I am. And that creates divisions in ways that we just don't need to. We, we end up picking fights that we don't need to pick. So humility is so important. And then you add to that gentleness. One of the best definitions I've ever heard for this, and I don't know who to give credit to, it's just gentleness is the willingness to be injured rather than to injure someone else. Here's what that looks like in real life. Someone says something dumb and they're trying to provoke you or they don't realize it, but they are. You accept that without responding in kind. You don't poke back. You don't roll your eyes. You don't say that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You don't make a snarky post on social media about it. You don't um, unfollow them. And you don't talk to three other people about how. You just say, I'm just going to let that slide. I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to let you offend me. And I'm just not going to respond in kind. It's a beautiful thing to do that. To, uh, to make allowances. I love that picture, too. We're going to make allowances for each other's faults. It's almost like we know that some people are prickly, and we know that certain things are going to press their buttons, so we're just going to kind of give them a little bit of extra room, a little bit of extra grace, 
they don't deserve it, but we can give it. I remember when uh, Kirsten and I were first married, there's an older couple in the church that invited us to dinner and another couple. So the older couple was like our grandparents' age, and then the next couple was like our parents' age. So we're going to have a nice evening together, and we were looking forward to it. We got there a little bit early, and the older couple was already there, and it was like they were having a pre-game coaching session and strategy. So they were talking about the other couple that wasn't there yet, the ones that were our parents' age. They said, they were saying things like, you know, with the government doing what they're doing right now, he's going to be really mad, so we not make sure we don't bring up anything about politics. And she's really worried about this, and so she's kind of cranky, so she says this, let's just say something positive. And what they were doing was saying, and I think it was a little bit maybe to help us understand what they were doing so that we could be in on it, they need a good night, because they're having a rough time. And Yes, they're kind of prickly. Yes, they're kind of grouchy. At the time, I remember thinking, they have absolutely nothing to be complaining about. And even now, however many years later, I still know they had nothing to be complaining about. But I have such a high regard for what that older couple was doing. I still remember that to this day. And I aspire to be like them, to say, I know this person's being difficult, but we can rise above that. We can show them some humility, gentleness. We can have a great evening together. We can remain united on the things we agree on. We can make room for some of their difficulty. And in all of this, you just want to show love. It's like, how many things has God had to overlook in you to be in a relationship with you? Can we not go ahead and extend that to the other people around us as well? It's about love. So then the, the last thing I want to point out here, I need to wrap this up, that Paul talked about in Ephesians. This is that place where he just over and over and over again said there's, just, there's one this, there's one that. Over and over again, it's not, you've got your beliefs, and I've got mine. As Christians, this is why I say you can get along with almost anyone. When you're dealing with Christians, there are so many things that we have in common. There's one God and Father who's over us all. We all believe that. Go to any Christian church anywhere. Go to any church in Darden Prairie. We all believe there's one God. We believe there's one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe there's one Holy Spirit who fills us all. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's so many things that bring us together. We are one body. And we we unite around those things that we do have in common. Instead of looking at all the things that divide us, the things that we're different, the things we disagree on, let's start looking at all the things that we do agree on and rejoicing about that and thanking God for all those things that he's done in us. Paul, who wrote these words to the Ephesians, he wrote another word, and this is to a different church. This is in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I, I love it. It's like he's saying, and it's almost literally what he did say, we need to all be singing off the same sheet of music. We need to be on the same page, reading the same thing, saying the same thing about what we believe, and unite on that. So then, I just got to say, there are obviously things that we do disagree on. What do we do with those things where we just go, I just don't see it the way you do? Well, Paul's got a word for that too. This is to a different church. This is a church in Rome. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. He says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith, and why don't you go ahead and say this part with me? Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, you might say, well, Brian, I don't like your translation. I don't think that's what it says. Let me read it from two different other versions here. The NIV says, don't argue with them about disputable manners. The English Standard Version says, don't argue with them about opinions. 
For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Real situation. And there's been some virtue signaling around what you'll eat or not eat. We all do it. What do you do in those situations where it's not a thing of there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father? You just don't argue with each other. We're not going to sacrifice the unity that we have in Christ over something that's an opinion. <coughs> Excuse me. So when we have a difference of opinion, let's just go ahead and walk through what Paul says to do. Romans 14, 1, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them. Verse 19, let's aim for harmony in the church. Try to build each other up. Verse 20, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. I think if Paul was writing to us, he might also say, don't tear, over the, tear the work of God up over how you vote or how you believe about this position. Romans 15, 7, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Can I tell you something? This is the foundation for how we get along with each other. Every single one of us who are Christians have a story that starts with, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I didn't belong, but now I'm completely accepted. All of us have that story. None of us deserve to be here. And that's the starting point for when we've, we realize this is what life is. It's God recreating us, creating a new people, making all the people who are so divided and so diverse and could never stand each other come together as family. Back in 2005, right after Hurricane Katrina had done all of its devastation on the coast of Louisiana and Mississippi, people started going in doing rescue. There were just awful scenes there of homes collapsed, people gone. Some of you lived through that. Some of you remember that. Uh, Dana Deutsch went down to try to rescue animals. She found on one day an extraordinary story. She got to a house that had completely collapsed. She found a dog named Ralphie, a beautiful dog that she rescued and put in her truck. Ralphie was so happy to be saved and have a human again that he just fell asleep in the truck. She very quickly rescued Susie, who curled up with Ralphie in the truck, followed another quickly by a pair of beagles who got in the truck, and they were all just so happy. That's when things got interesting was the fifth rescue. Four dogs in the truck, and then here comes Herman. This is not going to end well, right? Let me show you what happened when Herman got in the truck with four dogs. Yeah. They took a nap together. You know how they could do that? Because dogs and cats aren't supposed to get along, are they? When you've been saved and you've been rescued... You can find that common ground where we go, look, we're just happy that somebody loved us, cared for us, came and found us, fed us, took care of us, found us a home again. And that's what God wants to do for you. And some of you, I understand, I may be talking to some of you right now, and you, you don't have a home. You don't have a connection with God. You don't have a connection with other people, and it's hurting you. You need that. I don't know how you do life without God. I really don't. I don't know why you would want to, because he offers it freely to you. There's nothing that you could say that you've done in your life that would make him go, nope, not you. He welcomes you in. And I've got a challenge for you. I don't know if you're hearing me now and you're going, uh, there's some people in my life that need to hear this. I hope that you hear this and think, I think I may have been a little bit of a divider. I think I need to repent of this. I need to change my ways because this is not God's will for my life. I need to be somebody who brings people together, who makes allowances for the people in my life who are a little bit prickly, a little bit hard to deal with, a little bit extra grace required. I'm going to give them the kindness that they don't deserve because that's what God has done for me. This morning, let this be a time where you reflect on what God's trying to tell you. And I'm telling you right now, 
you, you need to step forward into this. We need each other to unite here in our church, in our families, in our world. The world needs to see people who love each other in spite of each other. I believe you can do this. Maybe you can't on your own, but I believe you can do this with God's help. In fact, let's just invite his presence in right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you, while we were still enemies of you, decided to make peace with us through your own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, through your own body, you literally died for us so that we could have eternal life. I pray you'll teach us to be united, teach us to love each other, teach us to accept the grace that you give us and to turn around and give it to other people. I ask for you to give us courage to have hard conversations, to, to have things that are going to ultimately lead to healing and peace. And I'll ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you came today. And the conversation doesn't stop at the end of the service. I hope that you'll stick around and talk to each other. You're free to come talk to me. I'll be out in the commons. And Dave Fales is our elder today, and he would also be happy to chat with you. If you have something you want to pray about, we can do that. If you just want to ask about something, that's great as well. I want to remind you, like uh, Nate said at the beginning of the service, we do have our annual meeting coming up in two weeks. It's a part of our regular service. We're so excited for our future and what God's put in front of us. I hope you'll be there for that as well. I invite you to stand now for our benediction. This is out of Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.